volume one chapter six of travels in the interior of africa by mungo park this librivox recording is in the public domain tiggity seagull's palver we no sooner found ourselves safe in casson than demba sago told me that we were now in his uncle's dominions and he hoped i would consider being now out of danger the obligation i owed to him and make him a suitable return for the trouble he had taken on my account by a handsome present this as he knew how much had been pilfered from me at jog was rather an unexpected proposition and i began to fear that i had not much improved my condition by crossing the water but as it would have been folly to complain i made no observation upon his conduct and gave him seven bars of amber and some tobacco with which he seemed to be content after a long day's journey in the course of which i observed a number of large loose nodules of white granite we arrived at t c on the evening of december twenty ninth and were accommodated in dembo sego's hut the next morning he introduced me to his father tiggity sego brother to the king of casson chief of tisi the old man viewed me with great earnestness having never he said beheld but one might man before whom by his description i immediately knew to be major hooton in the afternoon one of his slaves eloped and a general alarm being given every person that had a horse rode into the woods and in the hopes of apprehending him and demba sego begged the use of my horse for the same purpose i readily consented and in about an hour they all returned with the slave who was severely flogged and afterwards put in irons on the day following december thirty first dembo sego was ordered to go with twenty horsemen to a town in gedemua to adjust some dispute with the moors a party of whom were supposed to have stolen three horses from tessi demba begged a second time use of my horse adding that the sight of my bridle and saddle would give him consequence among the moors this request also i readily granted and he promised to return at the end of three days during his absence i amused myself with walking about the town and conversing with the natives who attended me everywhere with great kindness and curiosity and supplied me with milk eggs and what other provisions i wanted on very easy terms to see is a large unwalled town having no security against attack of an enemy except a sort of citadel in which tiggity and his family constantly reside this town according to the report of the natives was formerly inhabited only by a few fula shepherds who lived in considerable affluence by means of the excellent meadows in the neighborhood in which they reared great herds of cattle but their prosperity attracted the envy of some mandingoes the latter drove out the shepherds and took possession of their lands the present inhabitants 
though they possess both cattle and corn in abundance, are not over nice in articles of diet. Rats, moles, squirrels, snakes, locusts are eaten without scruple by the highest and lowest. My people were one evening invited to a feast given by some of the townsmen, where, after making a hearty meal of what they thought fish and couscous, one of them found a piece of hard skin in the dish, and brought it along with him to show me what sort of fish they had been eating. On examining the skin, I found they had been feasting on a large snake. Another custom still more extraordinary is that no woman is allowed to eat an egg. This prohibition, whether arising from ancient superstition or from the craftiness of some old bushreen who loved eggs himself, is rigidly adhered to, and nothing will more affront a woman of Tassie than to offer her an egg. The custom is the more singular, as the men eat eggs without scruple in the presence of their wives, and I never observe the same prohibition in any other of the Mandigo countries. The third day after his son's departure, Tiggity Sego held a palver on a very extraordinary occasion, which I attended and the debates on both sides of the question displayed much ingenuity. The case was this. A young man, a kaffir of considerable affluence, who had recently married a young and handsome wife, applied to a very devout bushreen, or Mussulman priest, of his acquaintance to procure him safis for his protection during the approaching war. The bushreen complied with the request, and in order he pretended to render the safis more efficacious enjoining the young man to avoid any nuptial intercourse with his bride for the space of six weeks severe as the injunction was the kaffir strictly obeyed and without telling his wife the real cause absented himself from her company in the meantime it began to be whispered at to see that the bushreen who always performed his evening devotions at the door of the kaffir's hut was more intimate with the young wife than he ought to be at first the good husband was unwilling to suspect the honour of his sanctified friend and one whole month elapsed before any jealousy rose in his mind but hearing the charge repeated he at last interrogated his wife on the subject who frankly confessed that the bushreen had seduced her. Hereupon the kaffir put her in confinement, and called a palver upon the bushreen's conduct. The fact was clearly proved against him, and he was sentenced to be sold into slavery, or to find two slaves for his redemption, according to the pleasure of the complainant. The injured husband, however, was unwilling to proceed against his friend to such extremity, and desired rather to have him publicly flogged before Tigiti Sego's gate. This was agreed to, and the sentence was immediately executed. The culprit was tied by the hands to a strong stake, and a long black rod being brought forth, the executioner after flourishing it round his head for some time, 
applied it with such force and dexterity to the bushreen's back as to make him roar until the woods resounded with his screams the surrounding multitude by their hooting and laughing manifested how much they enjoyed the punishment of this old gallant and it is worthy of remark that the number of stripes was precisely the same as are enjoyed by the mosaic law forty save one as there appeared great probability that Tasi, from its being a frontier town would be much exposed during the war to the predatory incursions of the moors of Genmaya, tickety sago had before my arrival sent round to the neighboring villages to beg or to purchase as much provisions as would afford subsistence to the inhabitants for one whole year independently of the crop on the ground which the moors might destroy the project was well received by the country people and they fixed a day on which to bring all the provisions they could spare to to see and as my horse was not yet returned i went in the afternoon of january fourth seventeen ninety six to meet the escort with the provisions it was composed of about four hundred men marching in good order with corn and ground nuts in large calabashes upon their heads they were preceded by a strong guard of bowmen and followed by eight musicians or singing men as soon as they approached the town the latter began a song every verse of which was answered by the company and succeeded by a few strokes on the large drums in this manner they proceeded amidst the acclamations of the populace till they reached the house of tiggity sego where the loads were deposited and in the evening they all assembled under the bentang tree and spent the night in dancing and merriment on the fifth of january an embassy of ten people belonging to alamami abdul Kader, king of futa torah a country to the west of bondu arrived at tassi and desiring tiggity to call an assembly of all the inhabitants announced publicly their king's determination to this effect that unless all the people of kasson would embrace the mohammedan religion and evince their conversion by saying eleven public prayers he the king of futa torah could not possibly stand neuter in the present contest but would certainly join his arms to those of Kajah. a message of this nature from so powerful a prince could not fail to create great alarm and the inhabitants of tassi after a long consultation agreed to conform to his good pleasure humiliating as it was to them accordingly one and all publicly offered up eleven prayers which were considered a sufficient testimony of their having renounced paganism and embraced the doctrines of the prophet it was time eighth of january before demba sego returned with my horse and being quite wearied out with the delay i went immediately to inform his father that i should set out for kunikari early the next day 
the old man made many frivolous objections and at length gave me to understand that i must not think of departing without first paying him the same duties he was entitled to receive from all travellers besides which he expected he said some acknowledgment for his kindness towards use accordingly on the morning of the ninth my friend demba with a number of people came to me and said that they were sent by tiggity sego for my present and wished to see what goods i had appropriated for that purpose i knew that resistance was hopeless and complaint unavailing and being in some measure prepared by the intimidation i had received the night before i quietly offered him seven bars of amber and five of tobacco after surveying these articles for some time very coolly demba laid them down and told me that this was not a present for a man of tiggity sego's consequence who had it in his power to take whatever he pleased from me he added that if i did not consent to make him a larger offering he would carry all my baggage to his father and let him choose for himself i had no time for reply for demba and his attendants immediately began to open my bundles and spread the different articles upon the floor where they underwent a more strict examination than they had done at joeg everything that pleased them they took without scruple and amongst other things demba seized the tin box that had so much attracted his attention in crossing the river upon collecting the scattered remains of my little fortune after these people had left me i found that as at joeg i had been plundered of half so here without even the shadow of accusation i was deprived of half the remainder the blacksmith himself though a native of casson had also been compelled to open his bundles and take an oath that the different articles they contained were his own exclusive property there was however no remedy and having been under the same obligation to demba sego for his attention towards me in the journey from joeg i did not reproach him for his rapacity but determined to quit to see at all events the next morning in the meanwhile in order to raise the drooping spirits of my attendants i purchased a fat sheep and had it dressed for our dinner early in the morning of january tenth therefore i left to sea and about midday ascended a ridge from whence we had a distant view of the hills round kunakari in the evening we reached a small village where we slept and departing from thence the next morning crossed in a few hours a narrow but deep stream called Creco, a branch of the senegal about two miles farther to the eastward we passed a large town called madina and at two o'clock came in sight of jumbo the blacksmith's native town from whence he had been absent more than four years soon after this his brother who had by some means been apprised of his coming came out to meet him accompanied by a singing man he brought a horse for the blacksmith that he might enter his native town in a dignified manner 
and he desired each of us to put a good charge of powder into our guns the singing man now led the way followed by the two brothers and we were presently joined by a number of people from the town all of whom demonstrated great joy at seeing their old acquaintance the blacksmith by the most extravagant jumping and singing on entering the town the singing man began an extemporary song in praise of the blacksmith extolling his courage in having overcome so many difficulties and concluding with a strict injunction to his friends to dress him plenty of victuals when we arrived at the blacksmith's place of residence we dismounted and fired our muskets the meeting between him and his relatives was very tender for these rude children of nature free from restraint display their emotions in the strongest and most expressive manner amid these transports the blacksmith's aged mother was led forth leaning upon a staff every one made way for her and she stretched out her hand to bid her son welcome being totally blind she stroked his hands arms and face with great care and seemed highly delighted that her latter days were blessed by his return and that her ears once more heard the music of his voice during the tumult of these congratulations i had seated myself apart by the side of one of the huts being unwilling to interrupt the flow of filial and parental tenderness and the attention of the company was so entirely taken up with the blacksmith that i believed none of his friends had observed me when all the people present had seated themselves the blacksmith was desired by his father to give them some account of his adventures and silence being commanded he began and after repeatedly thanking god for the success that had attended him related every material occurrence that had happened to him from his leasing casson to his arrival at gambia his employment and success in those parts and the dangers that he had escaped in returning to his native country in the latter part of his narration he frequently occasioned to mention me and after many strong expressions concerning my kindness to him he pointed to the place where i sat and exclaimed a phil ebi Suring! see him sitting there in a moment all eyes were turned upon me i appeared like a being dropped from the clouds every one was surprised that they had not observed me before and a few women and children expressed great uneasiness at being so near a man of such an uncommon appearance by degrees however their apprehensions subsided and when the blacksmith assured them that i was perfectly inoffensive and would hurt nobody some of them ventured so far as to examine the texture of my clothes but many of them were still very suspicious and when by accident i happened to move myself or look at the young children their mothers would scamper off with them with the greatest precipitations in a few hours however they all became reconciled to me with these worthy people i spent the remainder of that and the whole of the ensuing day 
in feasting and merriment and the blacksmith declared he would not quit me during my stay at kunikari for which place we set out early on the morning of the fourteenth of january and arrived about the middle of the day at solu a small village three miles to the south of it as this place was somewhat out of the direct road it is necessary to observe that i went thither to visit a slattee or gambia trader of great note and reputation named salim dokari he is well known to dr Laidley, who had trusted him with the effects to the value of five slaves and had given me an order for the whole of the debt we luckily found him at home and he received me with great kindness and attention it is remarkable however that the king of Casson was by some means immediately apprised of my motions for i had been at solu but a few hours before sambo sego his second son came thither with a party of horse to inquire what had prevented me from proceeding to kukenteri and waiting immediately upon the king who he said was impatient to see me salem dakari made my apology and promised to accompany me to kunakari the same evening we accordingly departed from solu at sunset and in about an hour entered kukenkari but as the king had gone to sleep we deferred the interview till next morning and slept at the hut of sambo sego end of volume one chapter six recording by linda marie nielsen vancouver b c